2: Should the Secretary of State spell out what he thinks should trigger a border poll? Is 50% plus one enough to take Northern Ireland out of the Union? Who do you intend to vote for in the next election? Should Stormont come back? And if it doesn't, watch it happen then. And what about Casement hosting the Euros? They're all big questions, deserving of a big poll. And that's exactly what the latest Belfast Telegraph Lucid Talk survey is. Joining me to discuss the latest polling is the head of Lucid Talk, Bill White, along with commentators Alex Cain and David McCann. You're all very welcome to the Tell. It has never been entirely clear what would prompt a Secretary of State to announce a border poll. So the question was asked: Should the next Northern Ireland Secretary of State, i.e., appointed after the next UK general election, publish the criteria for a Northern Ireland border poll? Bill, what was the result for that one?
1: Well, we we asked two questions. We asked, yes, as you have just said, uh, should this next Secretary of State publish the criteria for? Um, Uh, what should be the criteria for calling a Northern Ireland border poll because, as we know, he has the legislative power to to do that and it's his responsibility under the uh, terms of the Good Friday Agreement. And then we did ask uh, the obvious follow-up question as to what people thought the criteria should be uh, considered in terms of calling a border poll. So we... um, in terms of the uh, the first question, um, the uh, in, in terms of um, the Secretary of State calling a border poll, um, the it should should the next Northern Ireland Secretary of State um, appointed after the next general, next published criteria or border poll, we find yes, the majority of Northern Ireland fifty five percent said they sh- the, the Secretary of State should publish that criteria, thirty nine percent against six percent don't know, not sure so. To be totally honest, it's fairly much as expected if you look at the party political lines and the positions the parties, the political parties have taken uh, uh, in terms of this particular issue. So most of the 39%, when we dig behind the figures, that's the 39% who are against the Northern Ireland Secretary of State publishing the criteria for a border poll. Um, most of them, as you would expect, are unionists. 78% of the unionist voter base don't believe he should publish the data for, uh, or the criteria for Northern Ireland border poll. There is 17% think he should. And then, of course, you get the reverse on the nationalist Republican side. 88% of nationalist Republican voters who are 98%, the combined SDLP Sinn Féin voter, 96% anyway. Um, and, and then the neutral uh non aligned mostly alliance green etc they are majority now that he should publish criteria for a border poll it 's seventy five percent yes from the alliance green the others voter based um and uh, so so it's it, it, it falls into what is expected i think that people could have said based on the positions of the the current positions of the political parties
2: and before we move on, just what was the result with respect to what the criteria
1: I suppose, should be. Should be. Well, that was a more, yes, we did ask, we give people a number of options um, in terms of what they think they should consider in terms of what the the Secretary of State should consider in terms of calling a border poll. And this varied from, uh, is it the majority of, of, of the vote in a Northern Ireland Assembly election being pro uh, the Nationalist Republican parties? Is it the majority of the members of the Assembly being pro the National Republican parties? Is it the opinion polls on 40%, 45%, 50%? We give them a range. So the top four answers, as it were, the top answer was that the majority vote in a Northern Ireland Assembly election, the majority of the vote, the percentage vote share, should be more than 50% for nationalist Republican parties. Parties to take a position that they're pro-United Ireland. If it's more than 50%, that is the number one criteria that should be considered. Um, If you're going to mix the criteria, which of course the Secretary of State could say, I'm going to consider these three or four or five criteria, he doesn't have to say one. Uh, The other ones that come, uh, the close second to that, or second to that, is, and this is where the unionist community is coming through, 23% of Northern Ireland believe it should be, when the opinion polls say 60% plus on a continual basis, 60% plus one, or more than 60% pro-United Ireland. And then the others are the majority of the members of the Northern Ireland Assembly, as you would expect. And the uh, London and Dublin governments, uh, sort of joint third, Dublin governments jointly agreeing between themselves that there should be a Northern Ireland border poll based on whatever criteria they would use. So that's the sort of mix of criteria that come out uh, atop in terms of what people think should be considered in terms of the Secretary of State calling a border poll.
2: Alex, n- none of those results is really a surprise. Do you think really that r- reflects the reality of how a Secretary of State would make their decision? That despite the fact that it isn't laid down in black and white anywhere that we, we all sort of have a good idea of what would be in
0: question. Well, I think yep you go back to the twenty-five years. You go back to the negotiating process when this issue was going to come in. That they, they always have. We've known since nineteen twenty-one. There's always been the the option of a, for a border poll for how you finally decided. And back then, nobody thought it would be years, might be hundred and fifty years before they got to that point. Likely was the worst possible word you can use in a case like that without you know uh, adding to it because it says if a secretary of State thinks it's likely when you have no evidence. Because how do you define likely? What does that even mean? Because Let's be honest, in the last set of elections, I think, for the for the Westminster elections, for the council elections, and for the Assembly elections, unionism was a minority at every single level. So a reasonable person could say, well, hang on, if unionism is now a minority, both politically and electorally, surely that in itself is some example of maybe likely that you could test the waters with a border poll and so on. I don't know if you'd ever get um a definition which will suit everyone, because I, you know, unionists say, "Oh, we've nothing to be afraid of." You know, the, there's no evidence. What do unionists mean when they say there's no evidence that that in the event of a border poll, um, there, there would be united? There's no everywhere you look. All the evidence suggests the opposite. And again, when nationalists say, "Well, we're top in the polls, we're the largest party, unionism has taken hit, hit in, 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 over the past twenty five years, its vote has come down slightly." The evidence would suggest this. I don't think it's possible, Karen, to actually put in. Uh, a, a finely tuned, exact definition of what you mean, because and also I think one thing is worth you know forgetting all about the definitions. One thing has to be uh, the one thing I would like to see, uh, maybe a definition or some sort of clarity on, is not so much you know is it fifty percent here, sixty percent there, so on. It's how you're going to run the thing. You know, at one point, are there going to be papers from the government? Are, are we going to have a long run? in? Because this notion that we can do a referendum in the base, that's the one thing Brexit has taught us. You, know, you, cannot, um, you cannot just simply say, oh, we're going to have a referendum in, in six months. It doesn't work. Bill and I were talking about this on the way down the car. Um, Cameron, nobody was... I've talked to senior members of the Conservative um, Party from that time who said it came as a shock to them that uh, David Cameron said, no, we're going to put a referendum, Brexit referendum in the, in the 2015 manifesto. I've talked to members of the Leave campaign who said, we didn't see that coming. And even when it was in the manifesto, we thought he would put it off, maybe put it off altogether if he could. There was no preparation made. And that's the one thing we've learned from all this. Whoever wins or loses in this, you cannot go into it any referendum, blind on what happens when you get a result. And let's face it here, whatever the result is, there's going to be a very large minority of either unionists or nationalists who are going to be really, really miffed by that outcome. So how do you, you know, all that needs to be worked out. Forget the 50%, the 60%, the 66 the 55 In one sense, that doesn't really matter because whoever wins, whether it's with 50.1, you know, or 99.1, you know, you've winners and you've losers. David, you are an expert, I think it's fair to say, on referenda
2: uh, and you have a great interest in the subject. The first point that I would like to ask you about is if nationalists had to have a majority in Stormont, that would seem an impossibly high bar to cross in the first place, even to get to the point of a referendum before even engaging in all of the issues that Alex has just brought up. Yeah, so
3: winning 46 seats, is, which is the the... The magic number for a majority in the assembly is going to be very difficult for both the SDLP and Sinn Féin um, combined. Uh, currently, at the minute, they're in the mid-thirties in terms of seats, so they would need to gain uh, quite a bit. It's very difficult to see where those, you know, eight or nine extra seats would come from um, uh, within the within the um, uh, within the current makeup of the political dynamics of Northern Ireland. It'd be very difficult to see how that would happen. It's equally difficult for to see where unionism gets a majority back uh, as well, 46. I think certainly whilst you've got the Alliance Party taking north of 13 seats uh, off the table, it's certainly you've read the, 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 the mathematics for a majority for any, any block is very difficult uh, in that scenario. So what I think will will eventually be the position that has landed upon is a pro-referendum majority. Now, just because you're pro-referendum, Alex has pointed out the Brexit referendum, just because you're pro-referendum doesn't mean you're pro a certain outcome. You know, the, the Liberal Democrats, for example, were the first main party in 2009 to talk about an in-out referendum on Europe. David Cameron, of course, uh, uh, announced his intention for a referendum in 2013. Of course, he campaigned for Remain, as did the Liberal Democrats. They weren't holding the referendum in a, in a way to get the UK to leave the European Union. But I think I think essentially it's getting the Alliance Party for the pro-unification forces. It is about getting the Alliance Party to a position where they see the point in having this referendum, in seeing a point in having this debate in a in a more formal sense. And I think that's the strategy. That's where that that's where it needs to go. Essentially, essentially the the route to a border poll, uh, for want of a better term, goes through the Alliance Party and goes through a pro-referendum majority. Which again, it's very hard to make up without the Alliance Party.
0: Alex wants to come in. Bill wants to come in. <laughs> just a very quick point, David. I agree with you about the Alliance part if they did back it. My own gut feeling is that Alliance will be reluctant to go down that path for a long time simply because the minute you go down that path somebody's going to say, well, what is your party's position going to be? And I think they they if they will try and avoid that that crunch moment for as long as they possibly can, I suspect.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, just, just to, you know, to back up what David was saying there, just, we, we actually didn't offer the option of a majority of members of the northern ireland assembly being from nationalist republican parties the options we offered were was a majority of the vote share in the northern ireland assembly election being a pro-nationalist republican or pro-nationalist republican party, or the majority of the members of the assembly being nationalist republican, it was it was one option. Then the option with regard to the vote in the assembly, it was a majority vote in the Northern Ireland Assembly being pro a Northern Ireland border poll. And as David has uh, just said, that doesn't necessarily mean the pro a United Ireland. It could well be the number of Alliance members feel as people felt with the EU referendum, we need this issue clarified. Even though I'm, there's a number of Romanian people felt that. They were going to win the 2016 EU referendum and they thought they could, you know, clarify that situation. So it's not a majority of the member. We didn't offer, I'm saying that's a viable alternative, but we just happened to make, put that in with the majority of the vote share. Majority of the vote share is a different thing. It may be, I don't know if David agrees, the majority of the vote share, although it looks difficult for National Republican parties to, to get even to that stage, um, but that probably maybe a bit easier to reach than getting a majority of the members in the Northern Ireland Assembly.
0: Uh, just to, to very very quick, I think in the original, the, David, you'll know this probably off, off the top of your head immediately, but I think from 1921 to 1972, the position was the constitutional guarantee. It was the storm in Parliament itself, so long as a majority in that Parliament yeah. supported Northern Ireland in the United Kingdom. It was only after seventy two that they, 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 yeah. they sort of brought back the border, the border poll uh, um, prospect again of, of securing it.
3: Ironically, we may be going back to this. In uh, 1949, the then Labour government gave a guarantee That's right, yes. uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the unionist government then that basically as long as a majority of the Northern Ireland parliament, and it is important to remember it was the, it was the parliament, it wasn't a referendum, um, uh, um, was pro-union that Northern Ireland's place in the UK would be would be secure.
2: It's very hard for me to predict what way these conversations mm-hmm. will go. But if we can go back, I think, uh, to Lucid Talk, Steve Baker, Minister of State at the Northern Ireland Office, recently said that any border poll should be based on a supermajority. Now we all know this. This was a throwaway remark, but he did say that sixty percent should be required in any future NI border poll. Uh, we've discussed this in, or- in other podcasts, but basically, Steve Baker made a remark. I don't know if he planned it. It certainly isn't government policy, but we did ask the question, Bill. What do people think of this supermajority idea?
1: Indeed, yes, we asked what way a future Northern Ireland border poll should be run, should it be, and we give the uh, uh, three options, 60% plus one, which is what Steve Baker indicated, Um, we did offer a second option, 55% plus one, to see if there was anybody sort of had a a middle opinion as it were and then uh, we did offer the obviously the option that is the current legislation which is on a majority basis of 50% uh, plus one and then obviously don't know, not sure no opinion. So 35% have come through supporting of Northern Ireland representative sample this is 35% of Northern Ireland would support running a Northern Ireland border poll on a super majority basis of 60% plus one, 35% 6% 6% of the, the 55% plus one, and then there's 57%, the majority, would want it run on the current basis, uh, which is on a majority basis. The normal majority basis, to use that term, of 50% plus one, there's 2%, don't know, not sure. So, again, when you look behind this, there's no great surprises, to be totally honest. The vast, vast majority, if the 35% that support the super majority, the 60% plus one, come from the... um the unionist community, 62% of the unionist community think it should be run on the supermajority basis. 27% of the unionist community think it should be run on the, on the to use the term, the current basis, the 50% plus one. Um, so, you know, there is a section of unionism think, well, you know, maybe this, this is the obvious way it should be run. So there's 27%, which is more than one in four. As you would expect, the nationalist Republican community, the SDLP, Sinn Féin voter base and others, 91% of them feel it should be run on the uh, majority base, 50% plus one. So do the majority of the Alliance Green voter base, 58% of that voter base, think it should be run on the, to use the term, normal majority basis Um Interestingly, 29% of the neutral, non-aligned voter base, the Alliance Green, others, 29% think it should be run on super supermajority basis. So there is a view in there that um, maybe they're thinking that, you know, it, it should be certain, it should be a um, border poll that gives a very, very, um, you know, firm... Uh, Indication, or, you know, a comfortable decision either way so that there's no follow-on, you know, trouble or no follow-on debate and uh, controversy. And then, of course, when you average all that out, you come back, as I've already said, for the overall Northern Ireland results 57% 57% pro, 50% plus one, 35% on a supermajority basis um, and uh, 6% on the 55% one, which is not really in the, in the game. And then 2% don't know. So that's the, that's the situation. And again, I would suggest no great surprise, but we'll hear what Alex and David think.
2: Well, David, can I ask you a question with your politics lecturer hat on? I mean, how does the concept of a supermajority fit with democracy? If it can at all um
3: well look other places around the world have where, where you need more than just 50 percent plus one for a referendum to pass so for example Australia recently had a referendum on a voice department recognition of Aboriginal people in their in their constitution to win an Australian referendum you can't just get fifty percent plus one you need a majority of the states to back the proposal as well so it's not enough. Than a majority of the states and territories to back it as well. Uh, so it's not just a simple 50% plus one outcome. Um, uh, so there are other places, not, and people do point that out. However, um, in most places in the UK, and you look at the traditional referendum culture in the UK and Ireland, it has always been 50% plus one. So the first referendum that was ever held in the UK. UK-wide referendum, I mean, was 1975 on EEC membership um, back then. And ever since, it has always been 50% plus one. There has never been any kind of barometers on, on on success. Same thing in Southern Ireland. Every referendum has been 50% plus one. Some referenda have been passed very narrowly in the Republic, most famously the 1995 divorce referendum, which passed within 1%. Um it, 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 it is simply not in our referendum culture. And also, just just going back to, to something Bill was saying there, you know, with the Good Friday Agreement, it has always been known that it would be a 50% plus one. So trying to re-jig that and rework that um, uh, is problematic. And don't forget, the, la- the only time we've ever had a referendum on the issue of Northern Ireland's constitutional position was the Border Poll in 1973. And again, shameless plug, we did a good podcast on that, Kieran, um last year. Um, uh, nationalists famously boycotted that, and I think if you try and rejig the the, the threshold away from fifty percent uh, plus one, uh, you may get a situation at la nineteen seventy
2: three where nationalists just have no confidence in the process and and a whole section of the community boycotts it. So Alex, I mean, there there does seem to be from the polling unionist support for moving the goalposts. Is it is it is it any way realistic that that could be achieved, or is it just is this just a bit of crack?
0: It, it, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Whether it's been a bit of crack or not, it's not going to happen. First of all, just, I think it's worth saying, I don't think Steve Baker's comment was a throwaway comment. You know, that was a British Irish group and he was there representing the government. He was there representing the NIO. You don't just throw... I've been in this business long enough, though. You don't just throw... He was sending a message to the to the DUP. They are at this process, how do they nudge them? Sort of hinting that maybe, guys, we, we could maybe get something done on the supermajority thing. Ian Paisley's uh, bill had just... Uh, crashed and plummeted a few days earlier when Parliament came down. So just to say, oh, it's it's still alive, it's you don't worry, guys. So I think that's what he was at play there. The other thing is there is nothing, absolutely nothing on God's earth that would persuade Sinn Féin. To buy into a super majority poll, whether it's 55, 65, doesn't matter. They're not going to buy into it. And I think, and, and even if David's right, you know, the boycott, but a boycott's not going to work because the unions be quite happy if there's a boycott because they still win on that case. So all I would say, and I will put money in it, and you can drag me back in a few years if I'm wrong, and somebody can pay me something for it. There is, it's not going to happen. There will not. Now, David said, the whole history of referenda in the United Kingdom and Ireland, there is no way at this point, particularly after what happened to Brexit, where people told us, suck it up, suck it up, suck it up. Oh, well, the unions would like to make it a 60% majority. That is not happening, full stop.
2: So let's turn to party preferences. It's normally the question we kick off with, but I didn't kick off with it this time because I didn't think there was an awful lot of change. Maybe I'm wrong, Bill.
1: Well, yes, uh, there is some change, I mean, as as would be expected, um, because there's not a lot of change in the political situation, and certainly in my humble opinion, from our last poll, our summer poll in August. So, um, But there has been some change and some notable change. Um, first of all, on the headline voting figures, the DUP have advanced two points, they're up at 28%, uh, which is showing a good improvement in our polls from their 21.6% vote share that they got in last year's Northern Ireland Assembly election. They went up to 25 and then there's 26% in our summer poll and they've advanced another two points in this poll to 28%. The Lions Party are up 1% to 16% and these are, I should have said, these are overall Northern Ireland vote share figures, that's what pollsters do, pollsters measure uh, vote share within election. How you project the vote shares into seats is always the interesting part and I tend to as a pollster, we tend to leave that to the experts like Alex and David to do that (coughs) because there's a certain amount of error comes in when you start projecting it into seats but we're talking about vote shares. The Lions Party are up one point Uh, the UUP have dropped two points from 10% to 8% they got 11.3% in the uh, Northern Ireland Assembly election. So they've dropped back two or three points in our polls since the Northern Ireland Assembly election in May last year. TUV are down one point. Again, that's down two or three percent from their 7.6% they got in last year's Northern Ireland Assembly election. Everybody else about the same. The SDLP have dropped. They dropped in previous polls from their performance of the Northern Ireland Assembly election last year. They're in six percent, but they've held, they had six percent in our uh, summer poll as well. Green Party are in two percent. They were two percent in our summer poll uh, people before proper are holding at 1% on to have dropped from 2% to 1% um, but you tend to get these little changes in the smaller parties and the independents are up uh, 1.3% that's parties like the Northern Ireland Conservatives I R S P, etc who are just too small to identify on their own Sinn Féin I should have said sorry, Northern Ireland's largest political party I don't think I mentioned uh, Sinn Féin they're holding firm on 31% as well Um It may be worth mentioning just on the very latest poll uh, for the Sunday Independent um, by Ireland Thinks, our partner company in the south, um, one of our partner companies in the south, um, showed Sinn Féin dropping four points in the south of Ireland, um, you know, which is quite a significant drop. Um, So Sinn Féin holding on 31% is probably... Fairly good. It's hard to gauge just how the Palestinian issue and the Middle East issue, which has been incredibly, understandably prominent in the news over the last few weeks, how it has impacted and maybe it's had some detrimental impact on... Sinn Féin in the south of Ireland, it's hard to tell and maybe it's just, you know, Sinn Féin are holding here but they're not advancing and obviously the DUP because they're advancing, they're closing the gap in Sinn Féin but it has to be said, I mean, Sinn Féin are still three points ahead of the DUP which is in polling terms is still, you know, just a a nice comfortable lead It's not an enormous lead that they did have um, at last year's Northern Ireland Assembly election but it's, it's a comfortable lead is there
2: anything in these figures for you, David, that seems significant?
3: Yeah, well, I think the fact that Jeffrey Donaldson, the 28% are, uh, score, I think is significant. That was exactly what what the DP achieved at the 2017 Assembly election. So what in essence, Jeffrey Donaldson can now say he has clawed back all of the support that they have lost from 2017 and got them back to that position they're also more competitive with Sinn Féin now in this poll as well they're three points behind in some previous polls they've been as much as 10 points behind even in the most recent December election there was an eight point gap between them so now the poll is registering that that's more than half uh, which again is positive it shows some momentum behind the DUP it shows that there's still some life Within um uh, within the party uh, yet, and that they're not done for. Significantly, within the internal unionist battle, it really it really has shown that Jeffrey Donaldson has not just settled down the DEP, but he's also pretty much knocked out Doug Biddy and Jim Alistair from the unionist game. Um, if this poll was to be re- replicated in an assembly election result, the DUP would be taking north of sixty percent of the unionist vote. So it's pretty hard to say that the DEP don't speak for unionism when they're getting those type of numbers, and that's bringing them back to their. To their, to their strength years you know, back in 2011, 2007, when Peter Robinson and Ian Paisley were able to claim 62, 63, 64% of the unionist vote was behind the DUP. So, so I think that is significant. The other significant um, um, uh, part of this, I think, is the continuing decline of the SDLP and the UUP down to numbers that I don't think was ever inconceivable. I mean, it's interesting, this month marks 20 years since the DUP and Sinn Féin became the largest parties and I don't think it may be Alex because I know he was by then but I don't think I don't think either Alex myself or Bill would have ever conceived that we would be talking about numbers and believing them that the SDLP would be at six percent and the Ulster Units would be at eight percent I mean if the Ulster Units score eight percent that's them out of the executive I mean the founding party of the state out of the executive you know all but three, all but four, for heads of government in Northern Ireland um, uh, have been Ulster Unionists. You know, I, I think I think the decline of those two parties um, is something is something that is that that isn't debating, and it isn't. It, 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 the, the, there's no bars remorse. Let's put it that way. Of the voters that have left them over recent years, um, uh, voters still seem very happy with their choices of the Alliance Party. Um, uh, Sinn Féin and the DUP. So it really does confirm that kind of three-party state uh, model that we were talking about after
2: 2022. I think the decline of the UUP and the decline of the SDLP, both of those parties, I suppose, deserve a podcast on that very issue. But when we look at Jeffrey Donaldson, he has clawed back the DUP support. It, he is in a very strong position and will speak about Stormont and the figures regarding the boycott. But in a sense... He's in a strong position, but, but a strong position
0: where, going where, Alex? Well, I think for the, for the DUP in particular, um, th- this is an important... It, we always talk, Bill is right there. People like myself and David look for what we think might be significant figures. And for Geoffrey Donaldson, who two years ago, just two months after being elected leader, you know, the, the results were 13% for the DUP, 16 for the UUP and was 11 for the TV. He looked very, very weak to come back now. With with twenty eight percent closing the gap with Sinn Féin, which is significant as well, particularly given the transfer which which helps in, in elections for the Unionists, there's more chance of a transfer for the DUP and those figures. Because don't forget as well, back in nineteen ninety eight in the first Assembly election, the SDLP actually got more votes than the Ulster Unionist Party, but the Ulster Unionist Party were able to pick up um four extra seats. Looking at this, there is a route. If if Jeffrey Donaldson is so minded and I don't know if he is. I know he, uh, my, my suspicion is that he does want um, devolution returned. There is, I think, now uh, a, a, a potential route which didn't exist. The DUP is strong. He has proved that he can unite people around it. He is now comfortably ahead at 28%, but the, 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 the TUV and uh, DUP UUP at 12%. Uh, between. He is comfortably ahead of them. And one thing you discover about the DUP, and I, I've known this for a very long time, they take a risk when they feel comfortable, when they think they're strong enough. And they're looking at those figures and saying, where's the UUP going to vote? Some evidence from Bill's poll would suggest a bit of it went to Alliance um, and that UV vote. Some of it may have stayed at home, actually, but some of it is also going to the DUP. The DUP has votes there which it didn't have, Three or four months ago. So if Donaldson is willing to say, you know, let let's let's test the waters. This let's go forward in this. This is a moment. Go back, David, and he'll know this. As will Bill, obviously. Um, go back to two thousand and seven. If you look at, I was talking to Bill about this earlier. If you look at the meetings the DUP was having in that run up to May when they did the deal with uh, I was a piece I'd read from the Belfast Telly and another piece from the Irish Times was saying that um uh, Paisley and Robinson could have problems with Sammy Wilson or Gregory Campbell with Nigel Dodds about getting this over the line they talked they kept on talking we saw the talk of a billion pounds here and there five million pound economic p- for infrastructure they got it all the people were still saying four or five days for the, the 22nd or 23rd of, of May of March they were still saying oh the DP is not going to go this little, it's too days Interest. They did it. They did it because all the stars, the electoral stars, their internal polling, NIO polling, all said, look, it's going to be difficult. But if you're going to take the risk, take it now. And in terms of why I think this is significant, if the DUP really does want to save devolution, if it doesn't want to go down as hybrid direct rule, there's a moment now which I think hasn't existed for the past two years. I'm not saying Donaldson will take it, but if he takes it, I think I think he would probably win the day because he's now got to the point when he can say to his internal opponents and his external opponents, that's fine, guys. You keep so Your options seem to be keep on saying no and hope that things are going to change. The Windsor framework is here. This is here. That's here. It's going to be implemented with or without devolution. The choice we now have to make is devolution or direct rule, which is exactly, exactly, Kieran, the choice that Ian Paisley and Peter Robinson put to the party back in 2007. And one other thing I'll just end on, because I'm a nerd on these things. I was reading back on Robinson and Paisley speeches in that period, that, that March, April, May period, comparing them with what Donaldson and some of his uh, supporters are saying right now, the language devolution isn't an end in itself if it does come back we have to make sure it's better we have to make sure it works for everyone not just for unionists that's, that's quote directly from Ian Paisley back then but it's more or less been mirrored in what we saw with with Jeffrey's response to um, the newsletter and then his speech back in uh, to the AGM there's something going on there I can't nail it down yet, but there's something going on, and I would not be—I know people are surprised when I sound optimistic. It—it it is this thing about a disturbance in the force. What Alex is saying, something—something something positive may actually happen. But I think right now we're heading towards that defining moment in Donaldson's career. And yet, Bill, and yet, we—we
2: we did, we did. Uh, poll on this question, Geoffrey Donaldson's I suppose conundrum, this defining moment. Um, What does the data tell us about what the unionist community thinks should happen regarding Stormont?
1: Well yes we did, we've been running this poll question for uh, the last four polls now since the issue of the Northern Ireland Protocol the Windsor Framework uh, has been prominent in the news and um, we, we only polled views of unionist voters on this issue we have had people on social media asking us well look you know the, the majority of people in Northern Ireland if you take the SAP Sinn Féin, the Alliance voter base want to get back to Stormont. I think everybody accepts this the answer to why we don't poll non-unionists and this is because it can be assumed quite safely without an opinion poll that 99% of their voter bases would support a return to Stormont and uh, getting the, um, the institutions back up and running again. So we only poll vote, unionist voters on this and it came out that um, very similar to the last poll, it dropped slightly, but 62% of the overall unionist voter base um, are backing the DU position of not returning to Stormont until the uh, Windsor Framework Northern Ireland Protocol is um, removed completely. And we do qualify that point. We did give them the option to put it in front of the, the unionist voter base even if this means the permanent closure of Stormont. So 62% are supporting that position. 32% are supporting the position of the overall unionist voter base. The DUP should go back to Stormont and negotiate about the Windsor framework from within very much the Ulster Unionist Party position, I think, um, to be fair. 5% then say they should be back at Stormont anyway. They're even more pro going back to Stormont. Maybe the small part of the union's voter base, you don't think the boycott should have ever been started. Now, when you look at the breakdown in of- this between the DUV, T, the DUP voter base, the UUP voter base, and the TuV voter base, seventy-two percent of the DUP voter base um, say they are backing the current DUP policy position, their party policy position, of staying out of Stormont until the Northern Ireland Protocol Windsor Frameworks are used completely. Uh, only 21% of the UUP voter base support that position. 94%, as you would expect, of the TUV voter base support that position. And then when you go to what is the Ulster Unionist Party policy of going back to Stormont and negotiating from within, as would be expected, two-thirds of the Ulster Unionist Party voter base support that position. Only, But when I say only, 24% of the DUP voter base support that position. Now, that's up from 21% in our August poll and it's up a couple of percent on our April poll Um, you're comparing the August poll to the April poll so um, again if we look at the um, supporting the current DUP policy the DUP voter base was 79% pro the DUP policy in April it was 76% in August and it's now 72% okay these are small changes in opinion polling terms but it's moving in one direction so there's a slight movement there If people who are saying, crikey, this has gone on maybe long enough, maybe we should be getting back in there and working. They're a minority of the DUP voter base, but they're moving that direction. So it's, um, you know, that's that's notable. It was one in four um, in August who uh, supported uh, going back sorry, one in five in August supported going back to Stormont of the DUP voter base. It's now one in four uh, support going back to Stormont and negotiating from within. So you know there's a slight movement there but that the overall the overall situation is nearly 2 thirds of the U, of the overall unionist voter base we were primarily made up of DUP and obviously nearly 100% of the TUV voter base which is still you know although it's smaller it's there um that feeds in the 62% overall support the current DUP policy position
2: does seem to me like a conundrum for Jeffrey Donaldson, but but I think we I think you have discussed about that, Alex. That there may be things happening. Before I, I bring David in, uh, Bill, could you also tell us about uh, I suppose the Plan B question, which was asked of non-unionists only. That is to say, uh, what do you think the government arrangements should be if the current NI government institutions are, are closed.
1: Yes, and the, and the your points of good, but everybody who was a non-unionist who didn't vote for a unionist party or candidate at last year's Northern Ireland Assembly election and within our polls since then were asked this particular question. Look... You know, if the current Northern Ireland government institution are closed for a prolonged period or even permanently, what should the plan B be, this famous term plan B? Direct, well, you did offer the options, direct route from London permanently, only 2% went for that. And then we have, um, uh, we just go to the bottom of the graph again here, direct route from London, informal consultation with the Dublin government and in parallel a renegotiation of the Good Friday Agreement, sixteen percent supported that. Forty nine percent, one and two, support joint authority by the UK and Irish governments, however defined. Again that's another debate how you define joint authority. But the the term joint authority and in parallel renegotiation of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. Uh joint authority by the UK and Irish governments permanently was twenty eight percent. So that's quite sizable as well. And then five percent were don't no, no not no you know, no opinion. So the two big winners in that, as it were, were this term joint authority, either permanently or uh, joint authority by the UK and Irish governments. And when you break it down, the um, Sinn Féin, as expected, Sinn Féin. Dominantly, 54, 94% of them support one of the joint authority options uh, As would be expected The STLP are more for joint authority And renegotiating the Good Friday Agreement They're more enthusiastic about renegotiating the Good Friday Agreement The STLP voter base The Lions voter base are more for direct rule from London And formal consultation with the Irish government And renegotiation of the Good Friday Agreement So that's a summary of the, what came out of that question
2: David, the results from that question suggest to me, and maybe I'm being unfair, that nationalists would be quite happy, many nationalists would be quite happy to move on from the Good Friday Agreement to build on the Good Friday Agreement. Is that fair? And is that to do with demographics or frustration with the DUP?
3: I think it's more just frustration. I think because now the two main parties have both pulled it down at different periods there is this conversation now going on about should one party be allowed to just simply block, uh, the formation of, uh, of the government and stop it operating altogether. Um, uh, and I think that that's the conversation that people are moving to. Now, how you do that re- realistically and how you do that through proper mechanisms, because don't forget that you've got the law of unintended consequences here, uh, that you need to think about. Um, so I, I, the, I I think people, because it's from a sense of frustration uh, that the DUP are are keeping it down, uh, want obviously a change to ensure that can't happen again. But the mechanism by which you do that and you perform it to achieve that is the thing that we're all still kind of trying to to work out. I mean, look, essentially any big reforms to it need the buy-in of the parties. And it's very unlikely because essentially what you're asking for there is that you take away the veto from the DUP, but you're also then taking that away from Sinn Féin. And it's going to be a big call for those parties to give that up because that's their par. That's what gets them, gets it, keeps them relevant. And that's what keeps them um, in the limelight. So again, that's essentially what you're asking for. So uh, the public may want that. But again, the parties, uh, the two main parties in particular, trying to give that up is going to be something um, uh, that's going to be very difficult to do, I think, in reality.
0: Alex? No, I, I think it, it just going back uh, maybe to the, the, the DUP position, but, but these figures, again, are interesting that... Um, The DUP will not want and will never accept joint authority. I mean, I I remember the day, you know, the reaction to the the Anglo-Irish Agreement back in 1985, even the merest, and it was a whiff of joint authority that we're talking about rather than, you know, uh, red and blood and claw. Uh, Direct rule is not a permanent thing. It was never meant to be a permanent thing. And the notion that direct rule would would exclude the Irish government or Sinn Féin is a... the DUP, it feeds into their thinking, these sort of figures, that if, if devolution disappears, if they don't restore devolution, then what are the alternatives to devolution? And none of those options, you know, are, are, are... Because they whatever the government's come up with, it'll be something that has to please both sides. None of those options will please unionism. I, I just think... what I, I don't know if David sort of half hinting, or maybe it was Bill half hinting at it. I have a feeling, I've written about this before, in fact, I think I've talked to you about it before, that... We're reaching that point where we're seeing, if you like, a withdrawal of both unionism and nationalism from the Good Friday Agreement. There's a growing sense, very few people are willing to say so publicly, but there's a growing sense that it hasn't worked as it was intended to work and it's never going to work as it is needed to work. If you go down the path, once that's accepted, once that's accepted by a majority of elected and accepted by both governments, uh, I think where this notion you can just go back and renegotiate, you cannot renegotiate the Good Friday Agreement. At that moment, the Good Friday Agreement dies. You change. All the dynamics are shifted. Then, in fact, I think what you find there is huge pressure coming on both governments to go for the border poll at that point to say, look, before we set up some some sort of internal discussion about this and try Try another assembly, which would be the the fifth or sixth attempt since 1972. Maybe if you just say how many people actually want to stay in the United Kingdom. So I think all of that, I mean, I don't want to over-egg or over-blow Bill's figures, but my my favourite Sherlock Holmes quote, nothing so instructive as the observation of trifles. It's the little things, it's the small things. Because the small things quite often lead you to a very big truth further down the line. Well,
2: you know, there's a small thing. And at at the same time, it's a very big truth. And I, I think we have to finish on this because I know I've kept you all for a long time. But there was one other question. Well, there are a number of other questions, but there's mm-hmm. one. We have time for one more question, Bill. Mm-hmm. And that was on the Casement Park thing mm-hmm. and whether Casement Park should host the Euro twenty twenty eight football games. We just seem split there in the middle, Bill.
1: Well, yes. I mean, again, uh, without being. You know, decrying the poll results, it has come out pretty much as expected um, in terms of this particular question. We did ask, how do you feel about the Euro twenty twenty eight games being played at Caseman Park as a Northern Ireland representative for results? Fifty four percent are pro playing the uh, Euro 2028 20, games, which is the European the football championships and European football championships in 2028, 20, 31% are against, and 15%, a pretty high number who don't know, not sure, which again is probably not that surprising. Again, when we look at the voting block and we say uh, we find out there's only 12% of unionists, people who vote for a unionist party or candidate, uh, both at the Northern Ireland Assembly election and since then in our polls, uh, tw- only 12% are pro playing the games at Caseman Park, 69% of that unionist voter base are against. As would be expected, Nationalist Republican voter base, 94% are pro. There's nobody against, and there's 6% don't know. And on the neutral side, the Alliance Green voter base, I mean neutral in terms of non-aligned on the constitutional issue, 69% are pro uh, the games being played at uh, at uh, Caseman Park, 26% are neutral, don't care and there's only 5% against. So that's the um, summary. We did go on and then ask a couple of uh, follow-on questions to that in terms of the Caseman Park issue The next question was, would you be happy to support Northern Ireland at Casement Park? And 39% said yes. 31% said no, they'd rather the games were played elsewhere. 19% said they don't support the Northern Ireland football team. That came through quite strongly and particularly within certain communities not surprisingly. They said, look, I'm not particularly interested but I don't support the Northern Ireland football team. And 11% were don't know. So that's the sort of two main um, questions. The sort of the third follow-on question we did was then, if you had the choice had to be between Euro football games being played in Casement Park or no Euro football games, which would prefer, uh, 60% said preferred play the Casement Park, said, look, if it's a choice between not being involved in Euro 2028 at all or having the games played at Giesman Park, they'd prefer having no Euro 2028 football games played in Northern Ireland at all. 28%. So it shows the sort of divide in this issue is quite pronounced and quite strong views on either side.
2: Could we mess this up? Could we, could we get ourselves into the position that uh, a momentum comes that's so opposed to Caseman Park that
0: Northern Ireland don't take part in the Euros at all, Alex? Well, uh, <laughs> this is one of those answers I find extraordinarily difficult because um, I other than accidentally, I have never watched a football match in my entire <laughs> life. So my instinct is to say I couldn't care less where they play it. But what does fascinate me that even in something as basic as football, you know, we still have these divides and I, I, it, it's an obvious point, but I'm going to make it that 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement, 30 years after we opened the talks to the, the Good Friday Agreement, that the people of Northern Ireland don't seem even capable of agreeing on something as, as basic as football, which are probably the vast majority like watching football, but they're willing to have an argument over where it should be played and what flags may or may not be flown. I actually think that is very sad.
2: David, I suspect you prefer a good referendum to a football match, but do you have a view?
0: Um look, I think that
3: um I, and you're absolutely right on that call, by the way. A bit like Alex, you know, I um We're uh, I wouldn't
2: be
0: a
3: reg- I wouldn't be a regular visitor um <laughs> uh, or, or or when the Euros come. But look, at the end of the day, it's a big project. I think that look, whilst yes there will be some cribbing and moaning about some of the aspects around it, that we will that that, that we will build the stadium and that we will end up hosting the Euros, and hopefully it'll be a success.
1: There is, a, there is a, but Just to come in here, there is a point in a debate to be had. I mean, this, and we pick up all the comments. We have an open comments box in our polls, so we get literally hundreds of comments, very close to a 1,000. A lot of points being made, which are probably valid, saying this all goes back to the Mays Stadium not being built, you know, which would have been a stadium for all sports. Yeah. It goes back to why the football and rugby didn't cooperate, and when they got the money to improve Windsor Park and improve Ravenhill... You know, why were these stadiums not brought up to the standards that are required to run these big, you know, games in these major tournaments? So there's a number of people making those points, which, to be fair, from my humble opinion, just reading the comments, you know, I thought these were valid questions. Um, so you know they've ended up in this situation if you like the people who are against playing the games at Casement Park who are predominantly from the unionist community as would be expected you have to ask themselves this was all building up five, ten years ago because there's not a football stadium and the rugby stadium even after they've been upgraded both Windsor Park and Ravenhill they don't match international standards for running these uh, these type of uh, games and these tournaments
2: Well we have a podcast in the back catalogue on Casement we've spoken about it before and I am absolutely sure We will come up. Be speaking about it again. (laughs) So, Alex, Bill, and David, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's
3: Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?